Welcome to a special episode of Formal Scout Podcast. I'm Ida Wood, I've just got back from the Pogue Grand Prix and I'm going to talk all about how the event came to be this year and how I managed to get there and back without using a car. So going back to 2019, that was the last time the Pogue Grand Prix was held and Billy Munger won in what was the first time the Euro Formula Open Championship has visited the circuit. Later that year, they'd pretty much negotiated that it would return in 2020, but as we all know, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic happened that year and the event didn't go ahead. It was the same issue in 2021, but by 2022, restrictions had lifted in quite a lot of areas of France that uh, the event could go ahead, but it wouldn't necessarily mean it would go ahead. Um, so the process then was for the organisers of the Grand Prix, which is the FFSA and the GP Depot, I think it's a committee, uh, to decide on you know, what safety measures they needed to take to make sure they could prove it was a COVID-friendly event, uh, even though there was no requirement to wear masks, uh, no need for social distancing. There was hand sanitizer available, but, you know, there was a lot of uh, communal eating. It was a very, very pre-pandemic experience at the Grand Prix last weekend. To that, To get a license to hold an event in these times, you have to prove you can hold an event safely in such circumstances to, to kind of get the approval. For Poe, this is doubly difficult because they are closing down not only, say, like the park, which is the, the main bit, the paddock, but they're also closing down the infrastructure of the city, the roads, um, the, the access roads as well, even um, the crossings, the rivers, um, the entrance to the railway station. Although you can get there, you can only do so from one direction and essentially anyone on the north side of the river is very difficult to reach the train station car park. So all of these things have to be taken into consideration and the Grand Prix team have to pitch to the provincial department that they are going to hold the event as sustainably as possible, um, as cheaply as possible in some aspects, so not too much uh, burden on the taxpayer. And this is particularly when it comes to like the cleanup of the event as well, and also not to be too disruptive to locals. As per usual with street circuit events, there was some uh, political and local non-support I should call it because although I didn't see any protests or as much of kind of vocal opposition in 2019 there were people who on their balconies had put up the um, banners in French saying like no Po Grand Prix here take take this away we don't need this extra disruption but I never actually saw anyone at those windows so they're either totally avoiding the race or they weren't actually in their houses this weekend and if they were in the houses, they were stuck there because their houses are actually within the paddock. So you can understand why they would have been a bit annoyed. Once the Po Grand Prix organising team had determined that, yes, they could hold an event with all of the pandemic restrictions that would have been required when they pitched for it. Obviously, in the month since, they've got even uh, looser. So it's made that job even easier for them. Um, but also to prove that, of course, the event itself is sustainable for the city. Uh, financially in particular, it then came to the point of deciding what would race on it. Following the 2021 miss and the 2020 miss as well, it was determined kind of in October last year that Poe would join the calendar initially as a kind of TBA event. So the Euro Formula cars would be there, but whether it'd be a championship event wasn't fully determined at the time of the accidental reveal in October. Um, maybe I'll talk more about that one day. Then they pretty quickly determined that French F4 would race there as well, because French F4 is centrally run by the FFSA Academy, which is part of the FFSA, which governs French motorsport. And the vice president of that is the coordinator of Grand Prix, Joel Deval. I spoke to Joel about 
you know, following all of the tick boxes I've mentioned so far in running an event or, or holding an event, uh, what were then the big challenges they had to face? And one of those was two years ago, there was the municipal elections in this district or this area of the Pyrenees. And therefore, there were new people in charge locally they had to negotiate with and to you know prove the worth of the race. But as uh, he told me, he was pretty much like, it's 79 years old now. Why would we deny it the opportunity to get to its 80th birthday? Yes, you can run the 79th edition of the Pogue Grand Prix. So that was a kind of support and kind of, I think, atmosphere, you could say, they got from the local political departments when they went to try and get the license to run the event. And also when they went to kind of survey the track and see what condition it had been in after two years of no racing, they went back to the local political bodies and also like the councils in particular and said, like, we want to repave most of this track. It's not suitable for racing. And therefore, six weeks before the event, that's what they did. They put on new asphalt pretty much all around the circuit and very noticeably at the entrance to turn two, which is the first breaking point of the track. It's a right-hander that goes uphill. And the surface change there ended up being a big talking point for the first two days of the weekend because it created a bump that, particularly for the electric cars, it occasionally caused like a torque spike. Um, but for the other cars that are running particularly low to the ground, there was the fear that they would break a chassis in half if they weren't careful with how they were setting up the car mechanically to, to go over that. And if drivers were attacking it from the wrong angle as well. So that was one thing to look out for in the lead up to the race. They did that six weeks beforehand. Then they went around and tried to get all of the infrastructure and barriers that they need for the race. Turns out between Grand Prix, they stole them all. And I presume just one location because when I spoke to Joel Deval, he told me that when they went to like open the doors to see if all the barriers were there, quite a few had gone missing and not just barriers like uh, poles and gates and those kinds of things. So they had to buy new stuff from that. So that was an additional cost for running the event. And but when I got to the circuit on Thursday, you know, it was it was all built. It was still open as a public road, but it was all built. And I actually had to cross turn two as he's ever crossing to uh, get to the media center and did notice that the surface changed straight away. Another thing that they did was replace kind of the traffic islands with curbs and curbs with traffic islands in some aspects. And, and this is because, you know, those curbs function as pedestrian curbs, but also you want your racing curbs for when you're doing like cornering and things like that and actually just laying out the boundaries of the track when there is... Uh, runoff so some of those got replaced as well that's quite costly because when there's traffic islands like you know in the middle of a junction you have to take them out of the ground to put curbs on instead so that was a challenge they had building the street circuit then it got closer to the event so now like three or two weeks they've put all the uh, preemptive infrastructure down and then the final week like in the days leading up to Grand Prix, they then put all of those barriers down. They try and do as much as possible at night to, to not be as disruptive to the local people. And then I think on the Wednesday, it's closed for the first time just to like check everything works as a track. And then in reality, it's Thursday where it becomes a racing venue going into Friday with the free practice sessions. And the series that are racing there were... Like I said before, French F4, Euro Formula, but also the World Touring Car Championship and the Electric Touring Car Championship and a demo event for ERA. Now, we want to talk about ERA more later in the year because we've been waiting a long, long time to you know see the development this, of this proposed all-electric junior single-seater series. But 
And this is from On the Ground um, reporting and one of my colleagues at Formula Scout, Jordan Edwards, when we were in a press conference as well, we're getting very much the same uh, lines in the series as we were pre-pandemic. And that's because the pandemic shifted their operating schedule and all of their like project plans back pretty much by two years. So we're kind of getting the development stages now we should have got a long time ago. That did mean when the car went on track, it completed a few laps on Friday, but on its Sunday run, it hit that uh, turn two surface change. And because of a human error in setting the regeneration, um, I guess, coding, uh, it meant that the car then just stopped on the way up the hill and it had to be retrieved and there was no more action from the day. So there's only two corners. Anyone who got a ticket to the Grand Prix on Sunday, hoping to see the, the first all-electric junior single-seater racer got essentially two corners of action before it broke, which wasn't fun. The... Racing itself didn't actually get impacted too much by that turn two bump, but there was a lot of dust during one of the, I think it was a Renault Twingo race. They laid down a lot of dust because I presume oil had gone down and that dust was still there for when the single seaters were back on track. And that caused a lot of chaos because the rear reels would just spin. There'd be zero traction on there. And anyone who went kind of out wide trying to make an overtake be left for dead and they'd be overtaken themselves by like two or three cars. The Grand Prix weekend started on Friday, in as in like ticket holders arrive. And like I said, there was no masks, there was no social distancing. It was packed. Arguably, the paddock was as busy as it was on Sunday that it was on Friday. And I think that shows kind of how much local embeddedness there is in this event because not many people like proportionally come from abroad often very far away to come to the Beau Grand Prix. It's mostly locals who've been given free tickets to make up for the disruption to their lives and also anyone else who's interested in the Grand Prix and what appeared to be a motorsport mad city. The rain also stayed away as well, which I think helped a massive amount and also made the job a lot easier for marshals. So going back to when I get involved in this story, I arrived on Thursday after, I think, a 12-hour journey. I'd set off at half two in the morning from London and this is the kind of thing I do for a lot of motorsport events, but not as extreme as this. I uh, had run 90 minutes across London to the Olympic Park, where the coach station is for National Express. And I got a coach all the way to Stansted Airport. Annoyingly, my Chromebook got a bit bashed while I ran around with it in my bag, so the keyboard wasn't very functional, so I couldn't do much work on the coach. Got to Stansted Airport maybe around like half five in the morning, and I spent two hours trying to do more work until the plane came then I flew which you know is always a treat given how much I do alternative forms of transport um flew to Tarb Lords airport in south of France and from there at like nine o'clock in the morning I had to walk 39 kilometers uh, or plan to walk 39 kilometers all the way to Poe because I didn't have the money for a taxi and I'd already booked you know the planes etc long long in advance uh, I got around 10k in and Google Maps said to turn right to go into a forest and I presumed it was just like a, a normal walking route turns out it leads you onto an MOD base or like the equivalent of a French one so after a while I'm seeing marks on trees I'm seeing like hideout dens that have been built in the woods it's all looking a bit weird and then I get to a kind of area where all the trees have been taken down it's a very barren landscape and it's like tank testing I think uh, but you know, there was no machines there at the time, but it had the telltale signs having been on a few UK MOD bases. I was like, ah, I know what this is. And then I saw the signs and they're all in French. Google translated them. Turns out I was in fact on an MOD base, but 
didn't get into trouble for it. Eventually found like humanity again and roads and things that weren't gravel and walked along them until I got to this rather main road that takes you almost all the way to Poe, but it's like a very, very long straight line. So there's still like another 20 kilometers to go, I think. And my French friend had said that uh, hitchhiking is part of the culture in France. And I was like, well, you know, I, I don't have enough money to really pay for a, a taxi or anything. So why don't I try hitchhiking? Stuck my thumb out and pretty quickly I managed to get a ride. And it's quite incredible. Like, you can't do that in the UK anywhere. You, I mean, you legally can, but no one would stop to give you a lift. Um, so I got a ride, I think, for like six and a half kilometres onto the edge of the town, which is too along from Poe, because there's kind of towns within Poe itself. And this is a town almost like fully distinct from Poe, whereas some of the others you would consider them as part of Poe. So from there, I then did the rest of the, the route and it was kind of going uphill to the castle area of Poe. Uh, and then I had to go down from the media centre. The media centre is where the funicular railway is, which is kind of tells you how steep this area uh, of the racetrack is you've got the river, you've got the railway station on the other side of the river with the support paddock, and then the track kind of wraps itself around and up the hill with a few hairpins, and then round the park, which is that really long um, left, well, longer left and long right-hander that you see going downhill, uh, and then to some really quick chicanes, and then back onto the pit straight, which follows the river. Um, so... Having already walked a very far distance, I then had to do all of this up and downhill stuff. and had to do that maybe 20, 20 times a day because the, the Grand Prix is run so routinely and quickly that even if there's like yellow flags, everything's cleared up very fast. And so as one track session ends, another one starts. So you've got to run down, well, you've got to run up from the media centre. So round two hairpins, past the funicular railway for people who don't want to run. Then you run along Boulevard to Pyrenees, which is where all of the people watch who haven't got tickets. So all of the locals who just want to like stick their head over and look at the cars from high above. And often that's what they do for the Tour de France as well. They can watch them there. You have to run past all of them, wave your lanyard at the media, pe uh, at the security people and kind of not yell, but kind of go like, let me pass all these queues. I've got work to do. And you have some of the photographers following you because they have the same issue. They have to run down to do the next bit of track action as well. You then go down several staircases, all kinds like metal staircases, then you go wrap around the corner and then do more and then you're down into the main paddock. And then to get to the single seater paddock, you have to run through that paddock over another bridge, over the pit straight, and then Euro Formula, thankfully, was like right in front of you and you know there was only 12 cars, so that helped. Uh, but French F4, you had to go past the Renault Twingo Cup paddock and a lot of the hospitality places first, which was like another half a kilometre in total. So really, really long walk, but you could only run it to get stuff done in time and just doing that a lot this weekend. So thank you to all the PRs who, when I wanted to organise interviews in advance, and even when just as races are happening, you know, like messaging them saying, can I interview this driver? I'm going to run down now and grab them. That really sped things up and made the whole event so much more efficient. You know, if I'd been running down and then just waiting for a driver to appear and not having any luck, I would have wasted a lot of time. So that was part two of the exercise. After all of the, the walking to get there, it was the running around on the track. Then during the evenings, I did actually have somewhere to stay. A very kind fam family, the Lariques, 
uh, allowed me to stay in their spare room for free for several days. And wow, like their hospitality was incredible. They made really, me feel really welcome. They provided an excellent bed, excellent view from the window. Like, blimey, that was so good. Um, and they just kind of embedded me into the culture of what it's like to be in a city that is motorsport mad. And that was really, really like, insightful experience. And also massively kind to my uh, budgets. Then from there, I'd have to walk like four, maybe like 30 minutes, I think, from there to the track. Um, but because of how busy the Grand Prix is, you have to really get the track at 7.30 in the morning and you're leaving at 9 to 10 at night. So I was getting up like, oh my God, it's 7.05, um, washing, checking if my feet were still intact after so much walking and then running to the track first thing in the morning uh, with my like media tabard on already, etc., to get there. And I did get quite, not only a few dirty stairs and like people wondering what I'm up to, because if anyone's seen see me in a paddock, you'll know I'm always running around and looking a bit sweaty, but also because there's designated cycle lanes in some areas and um, the pedestrian routes are not the quickest routes. They take you like almost a scenic route uh, around the roads, whereas I needed to properly run. So I was just running along the main roads uh, to get back into the town, of, into the city of Po because I was in the next town along. Once I'd done that every morning, every evening, boy, did I need a shower. Um, but it, it was all good. And after the first two days of the event, the weather got very, very warm and, and sunny as well. So that made things simultaneously better and simultaneously worse on that front. And after that, the food was then my next problem. I, I couldn't bring a packed lunch with me all the way from the UK because I had to pack enough cloves and resources for five days. Um, but equally... I didn't have time to get to a supermarket before running into the track. And because um, you're like within the paddock space and you have to do security to get in and out, I couldn't just leave the whole area and try and find a supermarket in the north of the centre of Poe. I had to stay on site as much as I could. So thank you very much to every single PR, hospitality, catering person. Many people who I've known for a long time and have always complimented their cooking, I must admit. Um, thank you for keeping me alive with food um, every day while I was there. That made a huge difference, not having to worry about feeding myself. Um, and also thank you to the media centre because they supplied, incredibly, a fridge full of rabbit casserole. Um, la pan et cassette, uh, de cassette. And uh, it tasted pretty good. The, the meat kind of came off the bone quite well and it was... An unusual meal to have for breakfast at like half seven in the morning at a racetrack, but it was warm inside. It was quite nice. So that's um, pretty much a summary of my adventure in Poe. The final stage was running all the way back to the airport. Now I got a Monday evening flight, but I knew I had a lot of transcribing to do. And I was up till half three in the morning on Monday, staying up, doing like all of that work and, and trying to get it complete didn't get it done in time but after four hours of sleep I then uh, set off to the other bit of south of France via feet again and I think I ran for maybe 30 minutes in total in this trip like on on the Monday trip because not only had my shoes pretty much fallen apart but I think my Chromebook had had enough as well so I had to walk all of it apart from that early half hour and that meant it lasted six and a half hours, I think, to get from all the way from the town outside of Poe to 
um, back to the airport and it was blazing sun and I initially had a long sleeve shirt on but it was after like an hour it got sweaty probably because I'd run half an hour in it as well uh, so I decided to take it off and replace it with a shirt with no sleeves and what ended up happening is I got severe severe burns uh, that meant not only was like my back and my chest and my arms in absolute agony but also my hands my hands hadn't got any sun cream on either and it was very difficult to type because the skin on the top of them was particularly tight and sore so that's a lesson learned uh, from this po trip we're going to discuss more about the racing in the second the second segment of this podcast and if you want to know more about kind of these escapades of going to the po grand prix then do check out my twitter would under dash ida under dash uh, and follow this weekend where i'm going to be going to croft for the brcc national formula ford championship and again i will be doing like a 35 kilometer walk across basically hilly hilly scenery right so i'm joined by an incredibly sunburned ida wood uh fresh back from well, i say fresh um back from poe uh great to have the Poe Grand Prix back on the calendar. I always love a junior single-seater race that's got a Grand Prix title to it or, or, or something similar like that. So, of course, Euroformula perhaps not quite as strong as it perhaps has been in the past, but um, it did sound like there was very, very, very interesting sort of dynamic throughout the, the weekend. It, it did seem like it was going to be completely controlled by, by one driver and then it transpired that it did not turn out to be the case yeah and i think uh i think last year euro formula season preview i put will this be the most open season ever of euro formula a little pun on the series name um and then this year i should have written the same thing because it's exactly what we've had um we have had oliver goethe seemingly out of nowhere become this kind of like semi-dominant force through admittedly only the first race weekend but through all of testing, through all of the practice sessions, every single time he's got in the car, he's been suddenly this driver to beat. Um, and that his teammates have been getting close in certain areas. Um, in fact, some drivers have gone so different on setup within the kind of boundaries most part uses that you can almost predict which of his teammates will be fastest, but it's not quite clear, at least from what the investigating I've done, why he's so quick compared to everyone else. Um, and in Poe, we had free practice one, free practice two, qualifying one, the Saturday race, Sunday morning qualifying two, all topped by Goethe. And I think he took fastest lap in both races as well, which earns you an extra point and meant he didn't get the most positions gain point because he was at the front. But you can see how dominant that was then. At the start of the Grand Prix itself, he quite simply had an average start, was overtaken. That's the end of it. He didn't win the race. Um, and, you know, it's a street circuit. So that's kind of like, if you're going to mess up the start, you've already thrown away your chances of victory. Um, but after that, he then put in like the winning performance on the way to third place. So he lost, I think, two places. Well, he lost one place off the line, and then he kind of got overtaken by his other teammate into turn two. And an instant in a previous session meant that there was a load of like dust down on the exit, the corner. And he tried to go around the outside to re-overtake uh, the drivers who had just overtaken him. And instead, his rear wheels just went totally spinning 
um, on the dust, zero traction whatsoever. He just avoided the barriers, but then he dropped, I think, two more places and he ended up in fifth place behind Josh Mason and uh, Philip Ugran of Van Amersfoort Racing. So he spent the whole race just tracking these two down, trying really hard to overtake them. And apart from turn two, there is no overtaking opportunities. And because turn two was covered in dust, there was literally zero overtaking opportunities. So we went lap after lap, wondering basically when were they going to collide because he was getting very, very close. And then on lap, I think it was like 21 out of 27, or 26, he caught like his nose just at the back of Ugran's car. They didn't cr- clash, but Ugran got very loose, kind of went onto a curb and then cut in on his, uh, what would have been the racing line, but because it's a street circuit and you're off camber, there is not technically a racing line there. But all it then did was made his car just get a little loose on exit. So when he then went to apply the throttle again, he got tight, crossed up for about half a second. Like it's hard to describe because it's so quick. Um, just an extra bit that he then lost momentum going into the next corner and Goethe just dived down the inside I think onto like the pedestrian curbing because of course it is a normal road um, and if there were track limits this would have been a move that was potentially just on the edge of those um, dived down the inside got it stopped on time perfectly and threw the corner and ahead and then after that he chased down um, the top two by I think like two seconds in one and a half laps pretty stunning job there um, which meant he did get the fastest lap point again, but not the positions gained because having started in first place, he actually finished in third in the end. And the winner, which is quite easy to forget, even though I was there, is Vlad Lomko, who has won a few Formula 4 races before. I think he, he did a few with uh, US Racing um, and he raced in the French Championship as well previously. So I do think he has experience of the track in 2019, unless he raced in 2020, in which case he wouldn't. Um, but because the track has not been seen in the last three years. So that was kind of the narrative of the whole Po event on the Euroformula side. There was really not much to it. It was pretty bland. Um, Vladimir Netazil and Effective Racing made their debut and they were very slow, um, unsurprisingly. But he actually did a very, very good job of trying to stay out of the way of everyone else when they were coming to lap him because it's quite difficult, not only with the fact that it's a very narrow street circuit and it's hard to find a place to let people by. But what they've done is when you've got like traffic islands, they put FIA spec curbing on top, uh, or in some cases there is literally just a traffic island. And therefore, if you do get out of the way, you will hit something, normally some type of curb that will just break the car. Um, so that, I don't know if there was some kind of leniency, but there would be like a whole lap where he would just not let someone pass until he could get back to the pit straight and find a, almost a safe place that was not bumpy enough for him to uh, let himself be lapped. Those are the only two kind of points of note from the Euro Formula event. Then in support was French F4, which was far more interesting. Um, but uh, I don't know how, how much do we want on the French F4 stuff? Um, series. I think we can at least go into a little bit of detail. It, do, it does seem like um, watching from afar, uh, very afar, as in I didn't watch anything of French F4 this weekend either. Um, it does seem like the, the Barter versus Aral sort of narrative is starting to shape up a little bit and it really uh, took off this weekend uh, on the streets of Poe. It does seem like blow for blow in, the, in that championship fight. Um, but it does seem like there was a, a, a one race in particular that seemed a little bit uh, chaotic. Uh, so I was just 
wondering whether you know some of that could be sort of cleared up a a little bit but uh yeah otherwise it, it did seem like french formula 4 was back to uh, peak french formula 4 on the on the streets of po which is by no means a bad thing yeah um what we essentially had in all three french f4 races was one side of the, the starting grid was heavily gripped up as racing line the other half was not everyone who was on that side made great starts everyone on the other side didn't and therefore qualifying second was actually the best place to be so we had uh, one of the Honda Juniors, a row on pole for one race, and then we had Cubata on pole for the other race. And in both occasions, it was just flipping around the positions very briefly because of the, the varying levels of grip off the line. Barter ended up winning the first race of the weekend pretty pretty convincingly. He, he didn't romp away, but it was a very much a case of once you're out in front, you've got the job done, and you can preserve your tyres a bit where you need to uh, and score a good haul of points. And then it was a second race, the reverse grid one, where things got a little, um, I wouldn't say crazy, because essentially it was fairly clean racing. But as we came into the final two laps, um, drivers kind of just lost, run out of patience, you could say. Um, and often there would be like an ambitious move and they, they could get it done, but they clearly didn't have the experience. They'd then open up the steering, they'd reduce the lock and then find out that 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 little like half second where they've opened up the steering has moved them forward another four meters by which point they're now past the apex of the corner and they can't make it so they then just stop to avoid the barriers it means four other cars get stuck behind them everyone has to reverse there's yellows thankfully there was no red flags um and the safety car was so rarely seen during this weekend it was pretty incredible uh, the work the marshals did but it then meant we had a lot of investigations post-race and trying to diagnose like who's actually at fault for this and who um because if you've made an ambitious move and you've actually got the move done but then you've stalled kind of on the exit of the corner because you've almost come to a standstill have you actually deliberately caused like an accident there uh, because you've stalled on track and that is a simple driver error it's a tricky one to navigate for the fishing officiating teams um so we waited several hours i think before the final result of race two was through and that was a Roman and Triolo one. But we had like seven penalties, lots of grid penalties. And uh, Luciano Murano, if I think I remember correctly, he got disqualified for a post-race incident. I didn't actually have time to fully chase up what that was about, but it appeared he seemed to have hit another car after the race. Um, but given they kind of come down by an, a different route and then into the paddock directly, I'm a bit confused when that could have happened and the... 30 seconds or so they had for that to occur. Um, and yeah, race three, Sato Rawan, the Honda Junior, Honda Red Bull Junior, and his, I'm going to call him teammate, even though there's no teams, uh, Yuto Nomura, fellow Honda Red Bull supported driver, showed very similar pace, top three practice, and then had a crash in race one that wasn't too, like it wasn't a big mistake, but it caused such damage to the front left of his car that he couldn't do race two. And then he couldn't do race three either. So that's kind of his title challenge totally over now. It is pretty much just the, the barter around battle. Um, there are a few drivers who did good jobs, um, like further down the order. But because it's Poe, you know, even though they were showing the pace and they, they sometimes drop back from the car ahead to then show the pace and get like a fastest lap or whatever. But they were finishing like ninth or tenth in the order because they'd made a mistake in qualifying beforehand. So... Yeah, a tricky one, but a really, really good learning weekend, I think, for the whole grid. And certainly the qualifying order for Magni Corps this weekend might not necessarily set the race one grid because we're probably going to have 
few more grid penalties come in potentially. Mm, yeah, certainly. And Mangi Core is another circuit that's uh, somewhat difficult to overtake at, although um, there is quite a nice long straight down into the Adelaide hairpin there um, for sure. But yeah, it did sound like it was a highly eventful weekend in 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 the French Formula Four world, and in addition to to all of the other interesting uh, single seatery things that was going on over over in that world uh, over over the weekend. Um, but yeah, and, and I suppose of course you had some touring cars on or something like that. Um, but we don't really talk about those on here, do we? So. Yeah, I, I think that covers that off quite nicely. Uh, I know it's been a double podcast week, but that's how it is. There's been busy things going on. Uh, we've got all sorts of exciting features and, and so forth on, on the website, all the race reports to, to come from, from this weekend, plenty more action to come. Uh, and we'll be back soon with another Formula Scout podcast.